This is the Reluctant Leader Podcast, created because, through no fault of your own, you've become one. I'm your host, Mark Terrell, and I know how it feels when you're getting ground down by people issues, constantly firefighting and wondering how on earth you ended up here. In each episode, I invite a guest to discuss a topic and give you three, sometimes more, top tips that will help you in your leadership role. They are experts in the field and you'll find out why they do what they do and what took them down that path. For more resources to help you on your leadership journey, check out thereluctantleader.academy where you'll find details of how to join the Reluctant Leader success path. So let's see who's in the hot seat this week. Today I'm talking to Gary Mumford. Gary is the founder of Insights Associates a chartered certified accountant with long experience as a finance manager director working with a vast number of owner managed enterprises charities and international corporates insights associates was created to address a need that all growing and ambitious businesses have for good financial management all too frequently business leaders have the technical skills to do what their business does but few possess the accompanying financial skills required to keep track of the vital money His book, Business by Numbers, was published in 2017 to celebrate the 25th anniversary of his own business and is a valuable educational tool for non-financial business owners to understand the principles of good financial management to ensure their success. I hope you enjoy this chat we had about business numbers and I'll catch you all on the other side. Gary, welcome to the Reluctant Leader podcast. Thank you, Mark. It's great to be here. Um, I've been looking forward to this, uh, not for many reasons. Uh, We're going to be talking about business numbers. Uh, Obviously, that's your forte and that's what you've written a book about and that's what you do on your day to day. But one of the things that um, we have in common and those that have been listening to this podcast from day one, so the launch one, would notice that or would have heard that I have a bit of a passion for trains. And um, oh, that's one of the things that. that you talk about in your book that you've got a passion yes. for, for for trains. Um, so yes, uh, <laughs> another reason why uh, we've got something in common, and maybe we'll, we'll cover that as we talk about uh, the subject. But before we get stuck into that topic, um, um, the, the question that I always ask the guests is, uh, why do you do what you do, and what was that pivotal moment that took you down this path? Right. Well, that's an interesting one, really. I think, well, it, it all, for me, it started um, uh, with a job that I took um, in the mid 80s. Um, that shows my age, doesn't it? Um, I am um, uh, obviously, I'm a trained accountant and that's my background. The numbers is my background, but I've always had a real interest in what makes businesses work and what doesn't make them work and, and that side of things. And I joined a company uh, in the mid 80s that um, was a uh, supplied building materials, uh, insulation and things like that. Um, it was a family-owned business. It had been running for a few years. It had been incredibly successful um, and uh, had seven branches around the country. Um, and I was the first professional, if you like, that was ever uh, ever came into the business. Um, everybody else basically was very sales-based and they were extremely good at what they did, clearly. Um, but... Um, that I, my appointment as finance director was really pushed by uh, their auditors and also by their bank um, because basically they had no financial information whatsoever. Um, it was an extreme example of, of, of you know, them flying by the seat of their pants, really. Um, and the bank, I think, were getting very edgy um, and understandably 
um, with a one and a half million pound overdraft. Those were the days, um, and uh, and and the auditors were basically saying you can't carry on like this. So um, my second interview with the directors was over uh, the. Uh, the owner's uh, snooker table in the back room of his house. Uh, it was a very informal process. It was very weird. And obviously, I was much younger then. And I came into this environment, and and literally, there was an accounts department of sorts. But all they were doing was paying the bills, collecting the cash, and, and, and not doing a great deal else. Um, so we started. I started from a clean sheet. And early board meetings um, were, were almost lessons in accounting and, and cash management and, and things which the guys that were as I say, very successfully running this business, had no real notion about. Um, and uh, and this really, I think, that was a spark of it for me. So I'm thinking, not every business, they're not, and they're not unique. Every business must be like this to some extent. They were growing incredibly rapidly. Um, and, um, and, and what had happened really is what was good enough when they started some years earlier was clearly not good enough anymore. And I think that was what, what started it for me. Um, and made me think about where, where, where how all this fits. And then um, I actually uh, ended up selling that business, actually, um, a couple of years later and then moved into another role. Um, and that idea was still in the back of my head. And then uh, ultimately in 1992, I, I founded Insight Associates um, with a colleague um, with really that, that whole objective in mind. How can we deliver good quality financial management, good quality information to smaller growing businesses when perhaps they don't normally have access to it. So that's what started it all. And it's been my passion ever since really is to try and uh, you know, get uh, engaged with, with businesses which are very ambitious, that are looking to, to go forward in a big way and have an understanding that they don't understand um, and they need to do something about it, but they're not really sure what. Um, and that's that's basically the ethos of what Insight's about, and what it always has been. Obviously, the business model has evolved as it does over something that's been running for twenty-seven years. But um, you know, in essence, that's still what we do. Yeah, yeah, and, and that um, that story actually is is uh, you know quite common from what I I've seen what I do in that a lot of people start a business because they're passionate about something or they're technically good about it, at something, uh, and then as as they become successful. Um, you know, they, they still carry on doing things the same way. And obviously that uh, leads to some problems. Um, and obviously we'll expand on that. And I think one of the things that um, I've learned just recently, actually one of my clients was um, looking to expand and going to uh, work with bigger businesses. And, and it seemed like the, the natural thing to do. But actually what uh, they realized was that if they go down that path, um, that's a different world and they would need to have a, a massive injection of cash because they would be giving a lot of their product away and having to wait three months for the payment and all those sort of things. And those things were not really considered and actually they backtracked no. from there. So those, yeah. I'm sure those sort of things are quite common. for Very women. common, very common, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's about having a plan. And that's from your book, uh, Business Numbers. Uh, that's the, the message I get is, the number one thing is to have a vision and, and put a plan in place. Is that right? Is that yeah, I think so. I think what we find, um, you know, the work we're doing now and my experience over the years is that, you know, um, and, and, and 
as I mentioned to you, uh, you know, a while back, it, 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 we, I have a passion for Michael Gerber's E-Myth, um, which I believe should be a book that is issued by Companies House when people incorporate companies. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it, I think it's such an essential reading for anybody that's, that's, that's looking to build a business. And, and, and in, in essence, it's, it's Gerber's model that we build on. And, and basically what he says, which I think is so, so true in my, my experience, is that businesses are generally created by people that have the technical skills to do what the business does. Um, so, and, and you look around you and in fact, I, even I did it. I mean, I created a business that does what I do. Um, and, and everybody does this. And, um, and what, what happens is that they might be very good at that technical skill. And in fact, they probably are, which is why they felt that they could get on and do it for themselves. But running a business that does that, um, is a completely different game because then you're moving into all the other disciplines that are needed to run a successful business, which are well beyond that technical skill set. And, and as, as Gerber puts it, you, you, you move from out of, a, out of a steady job into working for a complete lunatic, which is actually <laughs> <true>. <laughs> You're your own lunatic because you're trying to do all these things and actually you've not got the skill set to do them. And, and, and my experience is that, that the ones that succeed in the long term are the ones that understand that and realize that and surround themselves with all the skills that they need, you know, whatever they are, not necessarily only financial, but, you know, uh, you've got HR skills, uh, you know, dis- distribution skills, manufacturing skills, you know, so it goes on or whatever the business is doing. Um, they surround themselves with a team of people with competencies in all those skills. And basically what they do is they lead. Um, and, um, and, and have the passion to lead um, because they, they obviously know what about. They don't revert to type, which is end up doing what they do, um, which is uh, often what causes failure. Um, and again, having worked in the arena of, of businesses which are distressed and, and having difficulties, you often find that a lot of the reasons for that is because the people that are running them are too arrogant to, to realise they need help. Uh, and, and, you know, no one can do it on their own. No one... Can, can make this work without building a team around them, um, you know, and, and having people to mentor them and help them. Um, and, 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 and those are, those are the successful businesses and the successful people. So, you know, from the financial side, um, it, it becomes pretty obvious that what you put in place when you start your business, when it's small and it's running out of the back bedroom or even the small premises is certainly not going to be what you're going to need when you grow up and get bigger um, and, and it will change dramatically. And, you, uh, and I think the successful businesses have got to be really open to the fact that things have got to be done very differently. Yeah, yeah. And I mentioned um, our um, uh, mutual um, love of, of trains. Um, yes. And um, you've also, in, in your book, you managed to reference that uh, and how that, uh, the, you know, the train, uh, um, what's we call analogy, um, is yeah. can be thought of within the book. Do you want to just explain to our listeners about uh, how how you've done that? Where 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 the where the training thing comes from? Well, yes. basically, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've always had a, a really interest in 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 uh, in steam uh, steam railways, heritage railways. Um, <laughs> I'm uh, I, I have for some fifteen sixteen years been um, the chief financial officer of the Tallaghlin Railway in Wales, uh, which is actually where I'm speaking to you from now. Actually, I'm I'm, I'm over there at the moment. Um, and uh, uh, which was the first railway in the world to be preserved by volunteers um, in back in 
Um, and it's, that's always been a passion of mine. And as a result of that and the connections I have in that area, I have in the last couple of years also been finance director of the North Yorkshire Moors Railway, which has been featured on television quite a lot over the last couple of years. And, uh, 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 and that's the biggest one um, by, by the virtue of size. So it's a very interesting. I, I find the whole area very interesting. But mm-hmm. what's what's curious again is that whilst we're trying to preserve heritage, and we're we're looking to create, you know, keep something from the past, um, there is a need to do things differently in the background to make them work mm-hmm. and to respond to modern needs, modern technology, um, the needs of the of the. Of the public which is obviously the visitors is what keeps it all going mm-hmm. um so you know they're, they're an interesting animal and i find it really quite fascinating to be able to use my skill set in that area which obviously i'm passionate about but at the same time get the balance right between you mm-hmm. know running a victorian railway and actually in the background um basically what's going on is exceptionally modern and up to date and needs to cater for all the stuff that's happening so they need to evolve even though they on the face of it they look the same what's going on in the background is very, very different. Yeah, yeah. I think in the book you mentioned about um, when the railways sort of came to being, it was uh, up to um, the important thing that happened was that they were able to uh, come up with some sort of standardizations um, yes. so that we can yes. actually travel across the country and not really think about it. Whereas if they'd Absolutely, done it differently, right. if every region had done it differently, then we'd be literally having to stop and change trains because they're on different tracks or whatever. Uh, and that's, if we talk about that in a business sense, that's really important that you have a future vision that that is you know ultimately we wanted to get something that's actually scalable and and will be useful in the future yeah and 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 the and the railway history through the the, you know the early victorian periods into the early 1800s Mm. was was very much driven by a very small number of visionaries people who saw the need for change um and 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 saw that that the only way you were really going to make a difference is like you say is standardize things and keep Mm. things on a level so that all you know in fact the gauge of of uk railways um, is now the standard gauge throughout the world because we you know, went much further than the UK and we created that. Um, and, um, and also the other thing that was really interesting with the railways is it standardised time. Yeah. Um, up until the coming of the railways, time was different in different parts of the UK. Um, so, you know, you could have had a situation with a train leaving London and arriving somewhere else in the UK and the time was different. Um, can you imagine trying to run like that now? <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. Yeah, but that's yeah, it is. Is that is that sort of having a vision? And I think that's for me. That's that's the other thing which I think is quite key with someone who's growing a business and and taking things forward is is having some idea of what their journey looks like and where they're going. Mm. I mean, you wouldn't leave your house in the morning to go to your office or your factory or whatever without having a very clear idea of where you were going, how you were going to get there, and actually, possibly quite importantly, how you were going to feel when you arrived. Mm. Yet people seem to create businesses with no idea about why they're doing it um, other than just to do it. Um, and unless you've got some sort of idea of where you're going, how do you know you've ever got there? Sort of shades of the Cheshire cat now listen in Wonderland, you know, any way will do. Um, and yeah. it's, it's, it's a weird situation, but you do see it so often with people that haven't really thought about why they're doing it, what the purpose is, and, and what their journey might look like. And it will change. Inevitably, it does. Businesses have to evolve a lot, and they learn, and new opportunities come along, and things change as a, as a business develops. Um, so that journey might look different, different, and that destination might even change. That's not, that's not wrong. That's, that's just part of the process of knowing why you're going somewhere. 
Yeah, um, yeah, and, and I'm sure your business has evolved with different things. Um, we talked massively. before, yeah, uh, and then I'm sure um, you, you, you see opportunities that you want to do something maybe slightly differently or something. And it's uh, being um, open to those things as well, isn't it? As, as going down, yes. the, you know, it's not. I think a lot of people when we say, "Well, we, we set a vision and, and goals and all that sort of stuff." It's not about just setting them and having to stick to them. If something comes along and we can, we need to pivot or change, then that we should be able to do that, shouldn't we? Well, you should at very least consider yeah. it and yes. be open yes. to that, possi- that possibility and that prospect. I mean, yes, yeah. my own business has, has evolved massively in its time, mm. and, and one of the things we learned quite early on um, was that you know initially, and myself and my original business partner. Um, you know, we had this vision that we could sort of almost sort of helicopter into businesses with our experience and 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 sort of play the finance director, financial controller type role and and help give them some good information about where they were and, and understand their businesses better and, and improve their financial side. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what we quickly discovered was that um, it, it's not as simple as that because you can't perform that role unless the basics are in place and the basic systems and processes are solid and they're built on good foundations and they're delivering reliable information. Mm. Um, and, and from that, over, over a period of time, a few years in fact, we evolved into what principally we do now, which is to deliver an outsourced finance department where we effectively are the entire finance and accounting function for a growing business right from all the day-to-day bookkeeping, accounting, transactional stuff, right the way up to um, playing the FD role. Um, Mm. And and it was evolving that model, which we see as a pyramid. And again, Mm. about that that concept in the book, um, it's evolving that pyramid model, which was key to to what we do now. And actually being able to deliver something that was uh, replicatable and worked and that other people could get involved in. And that's how the business evolved, really, through that the development of that idea and that model. But yeah. it, it, and I had no idea that that was what it was when we started out. And in fact, not even for the first few years did we have any idea that's what it was like. Yeah, and that's yeah. that's the journey that businesses tend to go through. They, they, uh, but because of that, um, the one thing that most businesses, most business owners and the creators and leaders fail to pay enough attention to, and I'm bound to say this, aren't I, is the financial side. Mm. Um, because you know that gets left behind, and you often see a scenario where businesses are a few years old, and and they've got managed a bookkeeper who started on the day they started out, still sitting in the corner, and no one really understands what she does and why she's there, but they know they've got to have her, and mm. and they've got no information, they've got no up to date understanding of where they are, they they can't make quality decisions about where they are because they don't understand sufficiently about it. It's all done on the seat of the pants, and. That's fine when you're small and maybe a couple of people, but it certainly doesn't work when you're employing a number of people and you've reached a reasonable size. Mm. Um, yet it's not been given any attention and it just gets left behind. And the, the, the issue you then got is that a large business, corporate or whatever, has got the access to all those skills and the ability to build a big finance team because you can, you can afford to do that. Where does a business go when it's in that middle ground, when it's outgrown one person, one accounts person or bookkeeper or whatever, yet it's still not big enough to be able to afford to have the big corporate finance function, but it needs those skills. And that's really what our model is about. Mm -hmm. What we like to look at as an adolescence period that's in the middle and when they're growing up and changing. But it's it's the mindset of the people that are running the business that's key there. They've got to be open to that, know that if they want to go there, they've got to change their whole way of dealing with things. 
Yeah, yeah. And, and I guess in, with all this, uh, technology has had a big effect on the way that you're, you've shaped your business. I know now I see things that I wish I had when I was running my, my retail business, such as you know, the cloud accounting software, which obviously is always up to date and all those sort of things. But uh, technology, I'm guessing you're using more and more in your business and in, in, in what you've described. I'm sure that, that that's really important, isn't it? Yeah, it is very important. And, mm. and it's obviously, there's a degree of expectation with it. But mm. also what you can achieve now, it was, was was not even, you know, dreamt of a few years ago. Um, mm. The fact you've got accessibility, um, the fact that you can deliver information in different ways, um, the fact that, you know, location is no longer an issue. Because, I mean, one thing we've been on a major exercise to do over the last couple of years at, at Insight is, is to reduce paper. Um, and and actually, we've now got more empty Libre Arch files, and we've got full ones. Um, you know, we have mm. been so successful in eliminating paper. Um, mm. We've still got some way to go. There's still certain processes and things that, that do generate too much. But even when we generate the paper, we then scan it and file it electronically rather than filing it on paper, um, which reduces the workload and makes things much more accessible. Um, but also, you know, like you say, that the fact that you know things are hosted in in the cloud, that that makes them readily accessible. So it's easy for us to work remotely from the business, deliver information, and make that information readily accessible by the business when it needs it. It's much easier to integrate what we're doing with processes and systems within the business than it used to be. Mm. Um, so you know, the fact that everything's so open and accessible is is massive and. You know, I, I'm 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 a great one for technology. I I, you know, I love it, and and I I'm, my constant striving is to find a way of doing it with technology rather than doing it with people. Um, uh, uh, you know, which enables you to to develop and replicate and, and build much more readily sometimes than trying to find the skilled people. It's not always easy to find the right people. Mm. Uh, yeah, if yeah. you get a system that works, then replicating it and 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 delivering it elsewhere is relatively easy. Yeah, yeah. And it goes yeah, back to the principle of um, businesses, um, you know, are, are, are run by by great systems and then those systems are, are run by great people. Uh, yes, that's right. Well, it's, again, it's a, you know, it's a Gerberism, isn't it? I mean, yeah. you know, every small every small business in the world is people dependent and every big business in the world is systems dependent. Yeah. And systems are run by the people. So therefore, you're, you're, not, you're not reliant on key individuals. And that's yeah. the only way you can build value in a business. You, you won't be able to build value in a business if it's reliant on key people because someone will not want to buy a business where the people could walk out the door. Yeah, yeah. So that's a great way to, uh, you've led into the people side of things. And um, I think a lot of people when you talk about leadership is, is you know, it, that's the biggest headache uh, and, and where they struggle. And you do some work around people, don't you? you, you I know you yeah, use well, some I, tools. I've always been fascinated by, um, you know, how people behave and how they interact in, in, in the workplace. Um, mm. you know, having seen it in different, different businesses, you go in and you see that there's, you know, animosity and there's difficult relationships and you think, well, why has this happened? And um, actually, uh, you know, before Insight, in fact, I got very involved with the um, Thomas International uh, Personal Profile Analysis, PPA, which is a, one of these disk systems that, you know, that people may have come across, which is very good at looking at people's profiles and, and how they behave and what their preferences are. But more recently, uh, along with yourself, I, I've got very involved with motivational maps, which are also extremely interesting and uh, looking at what switches people on, what gets them out of bed in the morning and how well they're, they're getting that, which mm. I do find, I find the two things actually interact really well. So we use them quite a lot in, in, uh, 
in work we do with, with when we're specifically working you know, with businesses to develop them. Um, it, it really interesting to profile the, the key people in the team and then get them to see each other's profiles and see how, you know, where the issues might be or why things work and why things don't work and where there might even be gaps in, in what they need. Um, and, and the great thing I think is you probably found with, with these sort of tools is that people rare, very, very rarely in my experience dispute the findings of their own profile. Yeah, there they go. Yes, that's me. That's me. Then when you put everybody up next to each other on the board, hmm. when they've all agreed with their own, they can't disagree then that there's anything wrong with it. And then it really opens their eyes to, oh, that's why I don't get on with that person. Or, yeah, that's yeah. why that doesn't work very well. Or that's why that department isn't delivering because they're all badly motivated. Why is that? What can you do about that? Hmm. Um, and it, yeah, it can be a real eye, real eye opener. Um, but at the end hmm. of the day, you know, we've said, you know, great systems, a bank business is a systems dependent. Um, it's, you know, you still need good motivated people in your business. And every business has, has a, you know, has a need for good people that know, understand what they're doing and are well motivated to do it. So it's really quite interesting work. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I absolutely agree with you. It's, it's when you actually put people up, you know, compare, allow them to compare themselves with others and they, and they can't really uh, question it. And, and then what comes out of that conversation is, is gold dust. It's absolute gold dust. And, you know, I just encourage um, all my clients to get there as soon as possible because once they open up that conversation, it, it can really lead to massive yeah, changes. You see massive shifts and you, mm. you, I think, you know, the, the, the thing, and again, particularly with motivational maps, is that um, it, that's a very sort of uh, you know, very fluffy thing, motivation. And people rarely understand what it is that motivates them. They just know whether they are motivated or they're not motivated. Mm. And when you can put it into some sort of factual form in some sort of context, and, and, and as, as that system does, then it becomes incredibly powerful. Um, you know. Mm can really you know, really get people to understand what they need or 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 the people that are managing them how they might adapt what they're doing to, to make things work better and yes it, it, i've seen some incredible things come from that and it's always yeah. been very fascinating yeah yeah and, and it fits in with the sort of the new way of working and that you know you start from the bottom and work up rather than the other way that you know that sort of rather than yeah. command and control it's actually you know what to, what do the the shop floor uh, staff really want what can we give them and and, and work up from there and and i think that's such a you know, a great, healthy, modern way to work. And that's why yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, 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 I think it's, a, you know, it's, it's a way that um, businesses need to be looking looking at. Um, so we've gone off the sort of business number thing because I think people are really important, obviously, to all this. Um, one of the things that I picked up in the book and it really brought, came back to me because it was something that was key in our business and it really affected us just in a big way was um, you talk about the danger of di direct debits. Now oh, yes. I'm just going to I'm just going to talk a little bit just a, a little bit of story about this. And so back in the day, we were running a, a retail business, and we took a big step. We changed from one um, symbol group, which is like a buying group, um, to another. And with that change, there's obviously there's things that they work slightly differently. And one of the things that we had to do was to we had to start. Um, get a new supplier for our wines and spirits because that wasn't centrally distributed. So we were given given a supplier that was recommended. And um, you, as you do, you go through the process and you tick the boxes and fill in all these forms. And we started trading with them. And we were told in a conversation that we paid 
four weeks after delivery. And that's, you didn't really think any more about that. It was so we'd signed the direct debit and that was what we expected to happen. What actually happened was that they put us on a monthly direct debit, which what that meant was that we would pay for the previous month in one go rather right. than four weeks after each one. So that, oh, right. okay. so we haven't touched on cash flow here, but you can see the cash flow implications straight away, can't you? I'm sure, sure you're because yeah, of yeah. what's happened. So all of a sudden, one day, we woke up to um, our, our, our bank account being overdrawn. Uh, I'm not expecting it because what happened the day before was this massive DD for, you can imagine we were selling a lot of booze and alcohol in, in those times. Uh, and that was a massive, I think it was about £40,000. We had not got that money in our bank account. And uh, or I think we just about had that enough. So that went actually went through. But what happened the next day, our main supplier, our, our, our symbol group supplier was due and that direct debit failed. But yeah. it, was, it was basically because, obviously there was a system error there, but direct debits um, really causes a big problem in that, uh, you know, something was, you obviously didn't work correctly, but those are the sort of things that can happen when, you know, direct debits, um, you know, they basically got access to your money. Uh, and, yes, and it, they have. They've got their hand <laughs> in your bank account. Absolutely, yes. they have. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know whether you want to expand a bit more on that. Well, I'm, I'm not advocating they're bad things. Um, you know, as you said, the words were the danger of direct debit. Yes, that's right. Like everything else, it's about managing things and understanding them. And, mm. and whilst your, in, your example is interesting, where there was perhaps a misunderstanding in terms of how, how the direct debit would be used. Mm. What we find often is that there's direct debits being paid out of a business bank account that no one's aware of, where they subscribe to something years ago and, or, or you know, some other payment is going out on a regular basis. And the great thing about direct debits from that point of view is that if you're the one who, who is originating that direct debit and, and, and asking for that money, you're going to get your money until someone comes along and says no. Um, and, uh, and that is what often happens. And people sign direct debit forms. And in fact, actually, in this day and age, it's not even necessary to sign one. You know, we've seen instances of, of people quite innocently agreeing to a direct debit when they've entered into some deal or contract, but they've not been, they're not authorized bank mandate signatories and, you know, right. but they still go through. Um, mm. and, you know, Therefore, money's literally dripping out the bottom of your bank account without you really being aware of it. And you're probably mm. paying for things you don't need, paying for things in a way that you don't want to pay for them. You've given an awful lot of control to your supplier or whoever it is. Um, and, and, yeah, my point really with them is that they need to be managed. And, and the best way of managing cash flow generally and certainly understanding direct debits is to make sure you understand on a day-by-day basis exactly what's going out of your bank account. Mm, and why yeah. it's going out. Um, and again, I talk about that a lot in the book in terms of that process of managing cash flow because that's often completely missing in the businesses that we start to work with. Um, but also, just on a periodic basis, make a diary note or whatever system you use to, to, you know, to, to keep your lists and action points. And every three months or so, just you, know, you can do it with most online banking systems. Now, run off a list of all the direct debits that are set up on your bank account. And, and go through them and, and understand why they're there and, and make sure that you're happy that they should be there. Um, yeah, yeah. And you'll be surprised. To put money on it, there'll be one or two there at least that shouldn't be there because and they're dripping money out or they're ones of things that you cancelled years ago but the direct debit itself never got cancelled, which means that if that person or supplier for any reason came along, that they, they, they get your money. 
The, ba- the backstop always is, of course, there is a direct debit guarantee. So if you've got a dispute for the amount to come out of your bank account, you have got the ability to, to go back to your bank and, and they will reverse it immediately yeah. without question. Um, yeah. But, you know, then you might have issues with whoever it was that took the money. So... Yeah, I was just going to say that it's really important that especially as businesses are growing, those sort of small little things get overlooked. But And then when you actually look back on it, you've actually probably shelled out an awful lot of money that you needn't yeah. have done so. And, 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 and the wastage that goes out of every business is, yeah. is quite staggering at times. And, you yeah. know, and, and even my business, every now and again, you go through it. And, you, you know, some of my team might you get sometimes get, well, what are you, you know, faffing about for 40 quid for? Well, you know, it all adds up. <laughs> And, and, and therefore, we say, well, do we need this? You know, why are we buying this? What, what, we, do, what are we getting for this? Yeah. Um, and, um, uh, you know, and, and direct debits are that, that hidden way of, of, of that money disappearing, um, which, is, which is great. And also, the other one is, of course, is uh, if you've got company credit cards, it's possible to set up a, re- a recurring charge on your credit card so they can go out with your credit card every month or every quarter or whatever as well. So they also need looking at. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that was really that was more my point with the direct debit thing. But what you said is quite <laughs> interesting as well. You know, I've, I've seen it with you know suppliers, understandably saying you must pay by direct debit because mm. from their point of view, it's a great thing to have. Um, but there's not really a clear understanding of exactly when they're going to take and what they're going to take, um, and therefore it becomes impossible for you to plan what you know your cash flow because you don't know what's going to happen next. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it was it was a big lesson at the time. <laughs> it yeah, causes a big yeah. headache. Yeah, um, I bet it did. I bet it did. <laughs> and, and you lose credibility over it with the people that actually matter to you. Well, yeah, absolutely. Because we, I think um, the, the Simba Group we joined. I, I think the the um, the MD. I think only had two conversations with him in the time that we were members, and one of them was that yeah, time when he was basically yeah. knocking on the door saying, "Why haven't you paid us?" Yeah. So uh, yes, it was uh, very very embarrassing, and um, obviously we put in systems to make sure that didn't happen again. Um, but um, there we go; we we live and learn. Yeah, um, no, it's interesting. Um, sadly, our time is running out, uh, Gary. And what uh, it's been really interesting, uh, and for me, a little bit a look back on what uh, I used to uh, be more involved with on the day to day. And it's, it's all relevant and really interesting. And that's why the, your book is, is um, a must read for anybody that's um, not particularly interested. And you talk about that. And most people aren't yeah. particularly interested in this stuff. Mm-hmm. But actually, if you read the book, you get the overview of lots of things that you probably not have thought about before. And then what that gives you is an opportunity then to think about, well, how can I actually get somebody else maybe to take care of this for me? Yeah, the help uh, you need. And I, yeah. we, we deliberately formatted the book um, mm. and, and, and presented it in a way that makes it easy to dip in and out of. So it's, it's not, you know, yeah. it's not a heavy read. No. It's quite lighthearted and, and easy to get through because most people, I think, will get quite frightened of business books and think they're going to be a... a, a, a and difficult to get through and hopefully that isn't so yeah yeah, yeah. I, for my summer, summary of the book would be it's it's just the information you really need to know i'm sure there's lots of detail that you've left out that it's just as you know it, it is, is relevant but not maybe from someone that's maybe in a leadership position if from from a leadership perspective it's all the things you need to know which you can yeah. then obviously take some action around and that's what I liked about the book. Mm, um, so as I mentioned, we run out of time. And what I always leave um, my listeners or our listeners with is some 
top tips three i asked for some want to give me more but three have you got three tips for us yeah uh, I've, I've got i've got three things i mean obviously yeah. covering some of the ground that we've talked about but i think you know for me the three things which probably are, are key if you're you know, you're, you're running or you have ambitions to run um, a, a growing business that, that's going to move forward quite rapidly. And certainly the first one of those is don't ignore your numbers. Um, you know, it, it's really critical. And a lot of people ignore them because they're frightened of them. They don't understand them. They have a fear of them. If that is you, get help. Get someone working alongside you who can really help you understand those numbers and make sure they're good numbers. It will make your decision-making process so much easier. Um, the second one is the old cliche, which is cash really is king. Um, you know, um, you know it, it, everybody talks about you know cash being king, but that is a reality. No business, um, well, no, to put it the other way, is, is every business that fails fails through a lack of cash. In the same way as that every human being um, that dies dies because their heart stops beating. Mm. It's the same issue. Cash is always in there. And that is what will kill you if you don't get it right. You might be very profitable, but if you've not got the cash right, it can still kill you. So cash really is king. Make sure you understand it and control it. And the third one I've got is about embracing change, which obviously we've talked about. Um, don't be frightened of it, except that what you've done in the past isn't what's going to serve you well for the future and be prepared to be open to the idea of doing things differently. Brilliant stuff. Excellent. Well, I feel a bit guilty that I've kept you from your um, big... A grown-up uh, train set um, so so um, I'll let you get away and go and play with that and um, thank you again no, thank you Mark it's been a great pleasure thank you thank you for listening don't forget to check out the reluctantleader.academy and if you get a chance please leave a review on whichever platform you have been listening and also share the love by sharing the episode with someone who would benefit Leadership is a choice. If you have the right mindset, know the process to follow and the key skills to use at each point in the process, you have everything you need to leave a lasting legacy. Don't forget to put into action anything that has struck a chord in this episode. And until next time, be the best you can be.